chapter 4. We'll look at verses 25 through 42 this morning. The text is also printed in the bulletin. So we're going to talk about evangelism this morning. Give you a second to get over that sinking feeling you just had. Talking about evangelism makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Uh, Maybe we feel guilty for Christians. You know, we're supposed to be doing evangelism. Um, Feel guilty for doing it wrong or maybe not at all. Or we worry what it says about us that we don't do evangelism or we don't want to do evangelism more than we do. We're afraid maybe we'll botch it by saying the wrong thing. Make a wreck of uh, people's chances of coming to faith or... We think it's probably something church leaders might do, but not me, people who are specifically called to to be an evangelist, but maybe not me. Maybe we're more introverted private persons and put off by the idea of, um, you know, being cheesy or coming across as cheesy or uh, coming across as unnatural or canned or canned cheese. Be afraid of all of these things. (laughs) Um, Maybe the whole idea of, uh, of... proselytizing. That's a bad word, isn't it? Maybe it just seems inappropriate, proselytizing, as if it's arrogant to presume that other people need to change their beliefs, that they should change their beliefs to match my beliefs. I've got the right beliefs. Uh, We've got the correct ones they need to adopt. Maybe that seems arrogant. Or imagine the conflict that could be generated through confronting other people with spiritual ideas that are very different from their own. Maybe evangelism is just such a religious idea. So, I mean, it's in the realm of religious things, disconnected from anything of practical importance that we should discuss. Can't imagine it ever coming across in a natural conversation uh, or being relevant or helpful or appropriate. Or maybe it's just a complete mystery to you. Who, what, when, where, why? Evangelism. I don't have a clue. Um, uh, This this could be a very long conversation that we're going to have about evangelism. Uh, If you still have questions after the sermon, if I haven't deftly answered all of them for you, which I probably will not, then you can join us for sermon discussion or just come talk to me. Uh, Always welcome that. But Christian evangelism is pretty simple. It really is simple. I think we don't need to be afraid of it. Christian evangelism means introducing other people to Jesus Christ as he's presented in the gospel, as he's presented in the scriptures, uh, for a relationship with God through him. Christians do this. Simple as that. Christians do this. It's the clear application of a passage like ours today. John Calvin said that uh, it's the nature of faith. It's the nature of faith that we want to bring others to share eternal life with us when we have become partakers of it. So uh, hopefully it doesn't scare you off, the whole idea. I think it uh, maybe will be helpful to you. Let's pray that it is, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, there's a lot in us that resists the idea of evangelism and proselytizing others and talking about uh, things that generate conflict, uncomfortable situations, because we're talking about Jesus. We pray that you'd help us to see Jesus, help us to truly know you through faith in him, Help us to receive Christ as he's offered in the gospel, as as he's offered in the very word to us this morning. Pray that you'd help us to read your word and listen to it and be changed by it. 
And we even pray that um, the, the application that seems clear to us today uh, would take uh, a greater hold in our lives, that we would become better evangelists for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I, speak, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking to, with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. <clears throat> so the, the Samaritan woman at the well which we looked at uh, the first part of her story last week, she's had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, and the, the immediate response of her faith didn't take any training or coaching or working up the courage, right? It, the immediate response of her faith was to go and tell other people about Jesus, about this encounter that she'd had with him. Jesus' gift to her of living water, the love of God and the life of God in, in her life, uh, his gift to her of living water became a spring of water, welling up to eternal life, overflowing to those around her, so that they too came to know Jesus and find eternal life in him. So his gift of divine acceptance uh, is what freed her from the fear of rejection, and it compelled her to testify to that gift, to Jesus' mercy, to his grace, and to his love. And in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, this woman, who is unnamed in our text, unnamed in the scriptures, uh, she's a great saint, and she was given the name, this is the, the tradition anyway, she was given the name Fotini at her baptism, which is uh, the luminous one, or the light. Um, presumably because she shined forth the light of Christ through her evangelism. So for her faith and for her testimony to Christ, the tradition is that she was tortured by Nero and martyred by being thrown down a dry well. There's maybe some irony there, right? <clears throat> um, 
she's a wonderful paradigm for all of us, for every single one of us, for the church, for the Christian life of faith. When we're reading her story in John chapter 4, we're meant to be able to relate to her. We're meant to be able to relate to her because her conversion and her testimony are beautiful patterns for all Christians. And I really only want to point out a couple of very simple things about her this morning. We can't talk about this whole passage. We're going to probably skip over like half of it when Jesus is addressing his disciples, pretty much. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about her. She was a stranger. She was an alien, right? An outsider whose life was defined by rejection, not only as a Samaritan, but as a a sinner. Um, She was even rejected by the Samaritans who themselves were rejected by the Jews, right? So her life is defined by rejection. She was an outcast among outcasts, and yet she was welcomed by God in the flesh. She was welcomed by him, and she found herself included. And uh, admittedly, her encounter with Jesus was difficult. It was very difficult. He brought up some very difficult parts of her life that needed to be examined in, in light of who God is, What do these parts of her life say about her relationship with God? Uh, But it was because he loved her. It was because he loved her that he challenged her, and, and what she found in him was relationship with God restored. Worship, true worship restored, and the gift of the very life of God alive in her, and that's a big deal. The fact that she found that is is not just dramatic. It's actually miraculous. This is God's work. It's miraculous. It changed her in a big way because immediately she left her water jar, kind of an important item for her. She left it at the well to go back to her village and tell people about Jesus. She had trekked out to the well, remember, in the heat of the day because she needed water. Everybody needs water. The only time she's going to go get it without uh, being put to shame by all the other women in the city is... Uh, is in the heat of the day, so she had trekked out to get this water, and now she left her water jar. The reason she came out, she left it to go tell other people about Jesus. That's a serious reordering of her priorities, right? It's pretty serious. Um, She needs water to live. Just like Jesus, being fully human, actually needs water and asks for it and needs food to live physically, but put it aside at least temporarily, (laughs) For the work of the kingdom. For the work of the kingdom, she'd already become a little more like Christ, who himself, we see in his conversation with his disciples, he himself is energized by his relationship with his father and his mission to introduce people to God. So there is some contrast here between the Samaritan woman and the disciples who are still scratching their heads at the end of this story. Um, But she gets it to some degree. She She leaves the water jar at the well, and and that also kind of implies that she's going to return. You don't don't just leave the water jar out there. You're going to come back. Her immediate goal was to bring people back to meet Jesus, right? That's that's kind of what is communicated here. And that's explicitly the point of her brief sermon to the townsfolk. When she goes to do evangelism, she says, Come and see a man that told me all I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Uh, this may not be the only words she spoke, but kind of a summary of maybe her sermon uh, or the way that she interacted with people. It's a summary of her message. It's a summary of her, 
her call to people to come and meet Jesus. Come and meet him. What do you make of him? That's a question that you should deal with. You have to deal with. Come and see him. Come and meet him. You interact with him. And then you tell me what you think of him. It seems pretty simple, right? I mean, have you ever thought of evangelism being that simple? Of course it is. It is that simple. We just want to introduce people to Jesus. That's a pretty different mindset, I think, than, than thinking that we need to provide someone with an entirely different worldview. We need to be the ones that do that. Or uh, we need to be the ones that answer all their, their questions and allay all their fears and put to rest all their doubts. As if We need to be the, the ones to do that. It's certainly very different to say, just come and meet Jesus and tell me what you think of him. It's very different than trying to impress them with our own knowledge. To feel like we've got to have all the answers together so that we can just, you know, answer all the questions. Or to feel good about ourselves for having uh, all those right answers, whether or not that actually impresses you. You know, I can just feel good about myself with all my knowledge, right? It's a very different thing than the evangelism that's portrayed here in the Samaritan woman. Jesus is real. We know where to go to meet him. You can come and meet him with us. Come on, we'll all go together. At church, right? If you have friends that you want to introduce to Jesus, bring them here. We'll all go to him together. That's what we do. And that's the essence of evangelism. There's also uh, something of a method here, just a hint Right, in this, probably what is a synopsis or a summary of her message. <clears throat> a hint of a method. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Who told me all that I ever did. We imagine some of the townsfolk were probably thinking, we know who you are. We know all that you've ever done. You're the promiscuous one. You've married five different men of our village, which is probably a substantial percentage of the men in our village, and now you're, you're living with one that isn't your husband. We know all about you. you. We don't need somebody else to tell us what you're like, and you shouldn't either, right? I mean, doesn't it seem kind of just, uh, just bland, her message? Come and very strange. Like, come and see someone who told me all I ever did. Is she just, like, not understanding the magnitude of the glory, of the majesty of Christ that she could be communicating to these people? Um, No, I think she gets it exactly. She gets it exactly. She's a notorious sinner. She has avoided contact with other people, all other people in her village, because of the shame of the human interactions, the relationships, right? The fear of rejection. And now she, of all people, she goes... To all the people that she was afraid to talk with before, she's found, she's, she has a newfound courage. And it's, it's a tremendous fear, if we imagine our, ourselves to be in her place, it's a tremendous fear that has been overcome as an obstacle, right? Fear is a big obstacle in, uh, in our lives in a lot of different ways, but fear is an obstacle in our evangelism for sure, right? I think if, if we're honest with ourselves and we say, this is kind of why I don't do evangelism. The answer you're going to give is going to point to the fears that are going on inside of you. Evangelism has not been one of my strengths historically, just personally. Uh, when, when Jerry and I went to the church planters assessment that we were required to go to, after we had already started working on, uh, on planting Ascension, 
So we're kind of too far into it to be told, no, you should go home. Um, uh, I pretty much failed because of evangelism, because of not really doing evangelism or not being good at it or something. I, I, you know, it's a long story, but one of the assessors said something that stuck with me. There were a lot of things that they said that I kind of resented, but, but one of the things they said really stuck with me and said, you don't need to be afraid of unbelievers. You don't need to be afraid of unbelievers. There's a whole lot of reasons why we'd be afraid of unbelievers. And there's a whole lot of reasons why we shouldn't. Every one of those reasons for fear of other people is met head on in the gospel. We might have lots of reasons for not sharing the gospel with others, but they're largely rooted in fear, fear of conflict, fear of rejection, fear that we're risking a relationship here that we're going to lose, fear of just messing it up, right? But a real encounter with Jesus, if I have a real encounter with Jesus, it brings about courage because we find true security in him. We find true peace in him. Um, and the, the main uh, fear that he frees us from is the fear of knowing ourselves. The main fear that we are freed from as we have an encounter with Jesus Christ is the fear of actually knowing ourselves and actually having other people know, know ourselves too, right? The fear of being known. That's addressed head-on in the gospel, and that's what he frees us from. If Jesus didn't tell me what I am really like, I would never know it. That sounds strange. Maybe it seems like this kind of knowledge should be accessible to us. We should be able to know ourselves, right? But that's a deep fear that we have, knowing ourselves. What are we going to find when we actually take a look inside of our hearts and find out why it is I said what I did, or I did that, or I gave my whole life to this. Why? The reasons in my heart. Actually knowing myself is impossible unless Jesus Christ tells me what I am like. Because I am unwilling to see myself. I'm afraid of that. The Samaritan woman had been avoiding the obvious truth in her life. It's the truth that the whole village would have known about. She's avoiding it. It was obvious. Her sin was right there for all to see. She threw herself after men, but until Jesus pointed out the depth, like the root and the reality of that for what it was, that sin for what it was, until he made the connection for her that this was a deep worship problem, this has something to do, to do ultimately and primarily with your relationship with God, she was unable to see herself and unable to see what she was truly doing with, with real clarity. Jesus had to tell her what she was doing. Jesus, knowing about her husbands, um, this wasn't meant to be a neat supernatural parlor trick. Hey, check out this cool information. I, an apparent stranger, know about you without having met you. I, can, I know how many husbands you have and what your sex life is like. It's not meant to just be a parlor trick. It's, it's transformational. Because Jesus enabled her to see herself clearly in light of God's mercy. The only way it happens is, when, is in light of God's mercy. The only way we can really know ourselves is to be assured of God's love. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. No matter what truth you find about yourself when you take an honest look, because God's always known that, and he's given himself to you in the person of his son. He didn't withhold himself from you. He's not walking away from you. He knows you better than you know yourself. 
So no sin of yours that you want to hide from yourself. No knowledge about yourself that you want to hide from yourself or other people. No sin is a match for his mercy. It's not a match for his grace. It's not a match for his love. So you don't have to be afraid to examine yourself, to know yourself, to ask yourself, why am I doing this? What's really going on inside of my heart right now? Or to allow yourself to be known by others. You don't have to hold them at a distance so you won't be known by them for fear. His love casts out all fear. Which is exactly the good news that she proclaims. And it's the source of her courage to go and proclaim it to others who had shunned her. He told me all that I ever knew. I couldn't have known this stuff before. He told me all I ever did, right? And, uh, and I'm going to tell you about it now. Nothing can threaten the acceptance that we find in God. Nothing can threaten it because of his mercy. If he is for us, what can others do to us? Right? So what if they know what a sinful person I have been? down to the core of it. So what? God knows it and he loves me. What if they don't immediately convert? Or what if they've got questions I can't answer? Or what if this turns into a fight and it becomes physically dangerous for me? Which is a historical reality for people in the church doing evangelism. What if they they do to me what Nero did to this Samaritan woman eventually because of her testimony to Christ? No matter. You don't need to be afraid. The love of Christ comforts you in your relationship with God, and it compels you to invite other people into that same relationship with God through Jesus. It's all well worth the chance of sharing the love of Christ with others. And besides, remember, you're not the Savior. Going into evangelistic conversations or going into your relationship with the idea of, I want to bring this person to Christ. I want them to come and see who he is and, and think about him with me and talk about him with me. Right? Doing that, <clears throat> you're not the Savior. You're introducing them to the Savior. Jesus really is the Savior. You're just looking to introduce others to him. So the Samaritan woman heads into the village. She starts talking with people in ways that she never would have before. And she bears her own soul before them. She basically makes confession, doesn't she? I mean, if this is a summary of of her message to these people, we're going to assume that she, she talks about her conversation with Jesus. She talks about the things that he brought up, that he exposed in her. Right? She's making confession. His grace had made her able to look at, at her sins and to talk about those things with other people, not just to commiserate, Aren't we all miserable sinners? Let's talk about it. Let's have a contest to see who can say the most scandalous thing without feeling bad about it, right? It's not just that. It's not just for the shock value. It's because of what this said about Jesus. He knew everything I ever did, and he still wanted a relationship with me. He didn't leave me. He didn't walk away. So here's some evangelistic method for you. Tell your story with Jesus as the hero. Don't just tell your story. Tell it with Jesus as the hero. Talk about the specific ways that you need forgiveness, that you need healing, that you need salvation from yourself. Talk about those very specifically. But talk about him as your redeemer, as the one who forgives you, the one who saves you. Be 
surprisingly relatable to others. And don't condemn them. You're not just on a, on a hunt for the sin in their lives, right? Don't condemn them, but share the message. Uh, the message that you share with them is it's one of no condemnation, that you know because you feel, I've deserved condemnation and Jesus forgave me. <clears throat> I was a fool. I, I hated God, and here's how. I boasted in my pride. I slept around. I persecuted the church. I refused to believe. I was controlled by fear. But Jesus, let me tell you about Jesus. He's given me relief from all these things. Jesus had patience with me. Here's how. Here's what that looked like. Jesus tore that down in me and it hurt, but I'm so grateful that he did. Jesus didn't stop pursuing me in his love. Jesus knows what suffering is, and he's been with me in it. Jesus knows everything about me and didn't walk away. The Samaritan woman bore witness to Jesus. Um, she testified of his grace with such transparency and such courage. She'd been so changed, apparently, even in this brief encounter with Jesus, that it caught the villagers' attention, and several of them became Christians because of what she said to them. It's before they came out of the village and met Jesus themselves. <clears throat> Frederick Bruner is a commentator. He says that uh, the very humanity and simplicity of her words may be intended to teach us that our words don't have to be flowery, ornate, or even eloquent in order to be effective. They should, however, be honest, real, and centered in Jesus himself. So she gives a sinner's testimony. A sinner's testimony, not the testimony of someone Jesus helped to get it all together, and now she's got it all together. Let me tell you how you can be like me. Awesome. You know. She gives a sinner's testimony. She hardly knows anything about Jesus, but she's had a real encounter with him, a real relational encounter, and she talks about that. And it was enough to get people out to meet Jesus. And here's the, what I think is the great part. This bunch of sinners, they're all religious outcasts, right? Samaria was, was rejected by the Jews. They always did it wrong. They're on the outside of religion, ceremonially, ritually impure and unclean. This bunch of sinners on the outskirts of nowhere, not an important place, Small town. They ask Jesus to stay with them, to abide. That's the language, uh, which is language familiar to those who read John's gospel. They ask Jesus to abide with them, and he stays for two days in Nowheresville with this bunch of rejects. We might think that people like this would be overstepping their bounds, asking someone as important as this to delay his journey and come and be with us for a while. If you got to shake the president's hand as he's getting off of the air, airplane at the tarmac or whatever, you would never think to invite him over for dinner. You just would never think to do it. And if you did, your wife would hit you on the back of the head and say, don't bother the president. Who do you think you are? <laughs> right? But the Savior of the world isn't bothered. He came into the world for this very reason. Because he wants to be with you. People like us. When you ask him to come into your life to abide with you, his response is, thought you'd never ask. 
So in spite of who you are, <clears throat> in spite of what you've done, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. In spite of all your sin, in spite of all your unbelief, in spite of all your following hard after other gods, he says, I thought you'd never ask. He's happy to stay with these backwater bad people when they asked to make himself known to them for their faith so that they can know for themselves that he is the savior of the world. And he'll make himself known to you if you ask him to abide with you. And he'll make himself known to your friends if they ask him. He'll make himself known. Believe it or not, that's, that's just what he's like. That's a sinner's testimony about him. Anyway, uh, you should find out for yourself. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you're, you're good to us. You're unimaginably good, unfathomably good. We cannot comprehend your goodness to us in sending your son Jesus to be made one of us and to be with us, to extend your grace and mercy to people like us. It's too much for us. We pray that, um, that you would continue to show yourself to us in ways that free us from all fears that enable us to take a good look at ourselves and to know what kind of people we're like, what kind of people that you love in, in spite of ourselves, um, so that we can know how great your love is, so that we can talk about how great your love and your grace are uh, with other people who desperately need to know it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.